What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Today's episode is fantastic. We're talking workforce trends, recruiting in the age of Googleization, and what's changing in this hybrid workspace. We are stoked to have Ira Wolf on the show today. If you don't know Ira, you're missing out. Described as a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body, a higher authority, and certified prophet of workforce trends, Ira Wolf has emerged as one of HR's most visionary thinkers. He personifies the passion and mindset required to manage the convergence of the tired, the wired, and technology. His enthusiasm and engaging approach inspires his audience to challenge preconceptions about what it takes to attract, select, manage, and retain top talent, and then take the initiative to make change for them. So buckle up, TC beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Ira Wolf on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender. If you work in HR or make people decisions in your organization, this is the place to be. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Nice. Well, welcome, welcome everybody to The Corporate Bartender. Here we are. It's freaking June, everybody. June. <laughs> the year is half done. Episode 89. We've got uh, we've got some fun stuff today. We've got a guest. We've got Ira Wolf. Say hey to everybody, Ira. Hello. How's everybody doing? Good. We're going to be talking about adaptability and recruiting and nature and all sorts of fun stuff today. Ira, Ira's got lots of opinions on things, and uh, he's willing to come share them with us in our community today. For those of you that were not here last week. Um, just gathering some feelers on anybody want some TCB merch. Is that a thing we want to do? Or I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm thinking we're going to do some test runs. So uh, those that want in, let me know and we'll make that happen. I see some hearts and thumbs ups coming in, in the chat. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. So we'll get straight on into the news and then we'll get to chatting with Ira, just a couple of articles for you today uh, out of HBR, um, two things. The first one is called The Secret of Adaptable Organizations is Trust. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. <clears throat> we've uh, we've seen this in clients just in, in dealing with this new hybrid workplace and where, where trust has sort of ebbed and flowed. And, you know, we, we lost a lot of the context that we got just by being in the same building in the same physical proximity. Morag and I were talking with a client today. Um, you know, another example of a leadership team stood up uh, right before or during the pandemic um, that were already faced with challenges because they're geographically dispersed, um, but they've been geographically dispersed in a pandemic. So like everybody else, they've been on Zoom and they haven't been bumping into each other in the coffee and going to happy hour and dinner and that sort of thing. Um, in a time when adaptability is a kind of a core competency, right, right now. So there were sort of four design principles in, in this article that I thought were interesting. And it was, first one is addressing purpose, right? If we're going to be adaptable and make some changes, Let's be specific about the purpose. Why are we doing that? What are the goals, priorities, rules, boundaries? Um, and try to steer those changes as much as possible. Um, it also talked about providing continuous feedback, which we know from, from our work with, with executive teams, that's not always a give me skill. It's a thing that doesn't always come it's easy. Rarely a give me <laughs> Rarely. Right. <laughs> right. It also it, talked to, sorry, go ahead. It, it's sort of like your spouse saying, I told you on our wedding day, I love you. If it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Laurel Ditson, everybody, she's going to be here all week. <laughs> it also talked about nominating owners, pilots and co-pilots uh, to sort of take end-to-end -end ownership of these change initiatives. <laughs> My favorite one was test, don't guess. Run real experiments rather than relying on gut feel. Um, and I think we all know executives that, that lead from the gut. 
and then sparking collisions. And again, this is, this is difficult in a hybrid or remote workplace. It's getting direct interactions and those planned, those random interactions as well around these change topics. So all about building trust using concepts from uh, the scientific concept of emergence. So the second one, sorry, go ahead, Lori. Yeah, so the thing that struck me about this one in those little four pieces was sort of the setting the priorities and kind of who's doing what, even even when those things can be fluid, right? Because we're we're up against that in our organization where when you look at the, the actual hands-on staff of, of people working on our technology projects, it's probably maybe 100 people. And we have 40 funded projects. So that's way too many projects. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> so that's that's something that that we're about to get into as an executive team is is kind of looking at um, some some kind of sorting criteria of we got we got to get our arms around this because we're thrashing the organization. Everybody's running around trying to figure out you don't have any priorities if you have 40 things going on. And so that's, and and people can't adapt, right? If you're strategically trying to do something and there's no clarity or priorities, people can't figure that out. And then it becomes a mine's more important than yours and trust goes out the window and it's a, you know, credit grab and yeah. Well, yeah. And it starts to breed this, this scarcity mindset Um, I have a client right now that's having the same problem. They have so much change in their organization. It's been going on for so long. You know, one person in that group has had 11 managers in seven years. Yeah. So they just, they sort of hoard their stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Laura Chapin just snuck in the side door and I'm a little disappointed because her name was Wonder Woman when she came in. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. That was from my last meeting, and I realized the box was checked that says save name for next meeting. <laughs> I'm, like, oh, I'm, no. I'm, I'm a little disappointed that you didn't leave it, Laura. <laughs> I, I could go back. Now, if I was on video, I probably would have left it, but I'm like, if I'm not on video and it says Wonder Woman, you're going to be like, who's skulking our meeting? I actually didn't <laughs> think that. I on video, Laura, because you have the costume on too. that's it (laughs) hi Eric hi everybody I've missed you guys it's been too long since I could thanks for letting me pop in (laughs) yeah we've missed you too welcome good to see you Um, this second article here was about recovering from disruption and I thought this was fascinating because it was on this centered on this concept of what they called collective self-healing and it's uh, it's the colony type behaviors and and they they likened it to behaviors of of colony organisms like ants you know when when ants run into an obstacle you know they're stealing food from a picnic and there's a dog in the way um the ants all shift tasks and there's no manager that decides you know jerry you do this now tom you're doing that they just do it uh, and it's 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 sort of a you know a a, a collective experience, um, and they were talking about adapting those principles in into into organizational thought, and I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, three big takeaways here: one is get things done regardless of who does it. I think a lot of times we get wrapped up in our own purview, our own job title. You know, hey, that's my thing. I don't want Morag to do that because I do that. Um, you know, and that's self-limiting. The second one was capitalize on distributed leadership, kind of like the holacracy concept, the Zappos concept, maybe a little bit less intense. Um, And then one, I think as as HR leaders who have ever interacted with executive teams, we can empathize with this one. Realize the limits of your own expertise and (laughs) seek help when needed, right? You don't have to have all the answers all the time Mr. and Ms. Leader of the company. So recovering from disruption and and focusing on trust for being an adaptable organization. Lori, any thoughts you had about either of these articles before we jump on into Ira? That sounded weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I really like the, especially the one about 
just, just get the work done that it doesn't have to be about the credit or the job description or the, that, that there's, there's an, there's abundance, right? There's prosperity, there's enough recognition and reward for everyone. Now, if, if you don't have a culture that supports that, that's never going to happen, right? There, there has to be an, a foundational way of being in an, in an organization that supports that, because if, if that's fundamentally not how things work, then you're, you're not going to see that happen. Even people who want to have that generous spirit are, are going to get elbowed out. So it's, it's kind of an interesting combination of those, those tactics and, and what does your, what's welcoming in your culture. Yeah, for sure. Lori chimed in and said, work for the greater good. Morag talks about the abundance mindset all the time. It's, it's one of the, the cornerstones of the ally mindset model. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ask Morag and I'll ask her right now, Morag, who are your competitors? <laughs> I have no idea. yeah that's not an ignorance thing though right that's on purpose that's part of who you are yeah it's whoever others choose to quote i mean it's been yeah yeah we don't pay attention it's a waste of time and energy we are we pick us or don't pick us there's plenty of work to go around there's plenty (laughs) of work to go around absolutely absolutely awesome Well, let's jump on into the interview. Today's special guest is Ira Wolf. Let's give him a big fat welcome, TCB style. So Ira has one of of my favorite uh, self-written descriptions here. He's described as a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body, which I thought (laughs) was fantastic. He's a speaker author. He's the president of Success Performance Solutions. He's graced the the TEDx stage, the stage of Disrupt HR. He's the author of, this is another good word word choice here, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, When the Shift Hits Your Plan. (laughs) He's also a podcast host. He hosts a podcast called Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. I love this too. It's a podcast talking about the convergence of the wired, the tired, and technology. (laughs) So he's a writer, podcaster, blogger. He's been on Rework, Forbes, Huffington Post. And if he looks familiar, you might have seen his picture in Inc., Fast Company, Business Week, or even on Fox Business. Ira, welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Hey, thanks, Eric. Appreciate the opportunity. And as you can see, it's a real baby boomer body. (laughs) It's not my costume. (laughs) <laughs> you're not going to pull off the mask for a scooby-doo reveal well tell us a little bit about about you Ira. how did you get where you are to be this this sort of expert on recruiting on hr topics on keeping up with the future of work and tell us about your history any weird or interesting jobs you might have had along that path as well yeah, it's all been weird. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've, I've got a, a career. Uh, a couple of people have said it's the Renaissance man, which sort of means I couldn't keep a job, I guess, in, in one aspect, uh, which fits that millennial part, right? Uh, nine jobs before you're 28, uh, which is also a myth, by the way, because baby boomers actually had 10 jobs before they were 28. Interesting. Uh, so, um, and I fit both descriptions there. Um, how did I get here? I've, I've always had a passion for change. Um, that was a topic of my Ted talk. Uh, you know, I've, in there, I started out saying that, that I've been dancing with change all my life. Uh, and, and I did, I mean, I guess the weird part, well, it's not weird to me. It's weird to everybody else, but the weird part of my career path was I started out as a dentist, uh, fifth grade. Some, you know, teacher said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a dentist. And I don't honestly remember why I chose that. I didn't have any dentist <laughs> in my family. Um, we had, I had, I think one cousin who was going to medical school, but that was it. Um, so that everybody else was in retail and marketing, which is sort of what my career, you know, ultimately what my career became, although I was a dentist, I loved everything about dentistry, but dentistry, that's a <laughs> quote. You can hear that. In, you can hear that in, um, in my TED talk as well. And it's true. I mean, I love building the practice, building the business, marketing, working with the patients, educating, mentoring, building a team, leading a team. Um, we were doing tech, I was doing disc 
uh, using the DISC profile for team building and understanding. I brought a partner in uh, in 1980, in late 80s, and um, very different personalities. And we used DISC to, to, to help people understand that we weren't, you know, we weren't against each other, but we just had different approaches the way we dealt with people and projects and, and tasks. So, you know, I, we went through that, uh, but I loved the technology. I was com- literally, my practice was computerized in 1987. Wow. I, I had the, the cameras, those intraoral cameras, anybody's gone to the dentist when they put the camera in, they display it on a big TV, just what everybody wants to see. Every patient <laughs> you know, wants to see the hole in their tooth or the crack or their bleeding gums, you know, on a 30 <laughs> On we all want to see. We all want to see the the collective bad choices we've made right. over the over our lives on a forty two inch screen. <laughs> so at the time we didn't have big screens, so there was an advantage to that. Um, but we were able to display that, and uh, so I was always into that. Uh, the problem is, is that I was I was good at building the business. I was good at clinically what I did. I just didn't enjoy it anymore and got burnt out and I left. But the day I left, I mean, I, I literally walked out had no regrets. Um, I went to, somebody said, you know, you work so hard, you spend so much money to, to get there. Why don't you keep your license? You never know. And I knew I was never going back, but I figured, yeah, maybe, maybe they're right. I'll just keep that light. You know, I'll keep my license. It cost me 200 bucks a year or something at the time right. to do it. I, I had to get some continuing education courses, went to one course, spent about an hour there and go, what am I doing here? I mean, I mean, it, it was it, it was literally like most people say, I hate going to the dentist. Well, I didn't I really didn't want to hear about, you know, the next cap or crown or root canal. And uh, and I punted. And, you know, so I gave up my license a long time ago. And that was almost like a um, something was a weight lifted off my shoulders. It's like mm-hmm. why I'm doing this because everybody else tells me to do it. Um, but I started the business success performance solutions uh, didn't necessarily you know, I, I, my initial goal was called busy practice. It was BUSI practice and it was helping professionals put business in their practice, you know, mm. run a business, novel idea, accountants, attorneys, engineers, dentists, physicians. Uh, you have a business. I know it was easy to get started. You hang a shingle out and people just come to you. Uh, right. And, but there was no other, there was no marketing plan. There was no communication plan. There was no leadership uh, and uh, quickly, about a, within about a year, I realized that that was just too hard. <laughs> that that was uh, trying to swim upstream. Uh, and but I, what I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed the diagnosis. Uh, you know, I joke, I, I say, I love critical thinking. Uh, I loved the diagnostics of what I did in dentistry, in in healthcare. I, I was a VP. I ended up being a VP of a hospital for a few years. I loved oh, the wow. critical thinking part. I loved the diagnostics. Uh, I just didn't like doing the. I didn't want to be the surgeon. I didn't want to do the work, <laughs> uh, that part. Um, but you could apply critical. I could apply my differential diagnosis, what I studied for 20 years. Um, just call it a different name. Uh, cl- critical thinking does not get covered by insurance. You can't get sued for it either. But it's the same. <laughs> but it's the same skill set. You talk about. I, you know, I, I didn't realize it at the time. I was talking about transferable skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are the skills that you have? And and even back way back when, I'm going back in the '80s. You know, somebody said, um, you know, you, in order to find a dental assistant um, or a receptionist, you know, get somebody who's gone to school or has a passion for it. And sometimes the best place to find somebody who was really good with people was in your local diner, hire the waitress, Exactly. you know, mm-hmm. um, transferable skills, customer mm-hmm. service skills, doesn't matter what industry that you're in, you can teach people the technical skills. So some of those things I was doing, not because I was trained, I didn't go to school for that. Um, it was literally, I, I studied it, I learned on the fly. Uh, I probably took more marketing and team building courses. <laughs> I was a dentist than I, than uh, <laughs> probably enough to get an MBA. Uh, but I, you know, that was my passion. I mean, it just, it just felt good. It felt like the right thing to do. And as I said, I came from a family that was all market was, was all retail and every, and then the next generation all went into marketing. So mm-hmm. I, I often, you know, describe even the business I have today. Um, is that I have a marketing content creation company that just happens to be in HR. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fortunately, I get to funnel my energies and my passions and, and my interests 
uh, which was studying change, the future of work, working with people, leadership. Um, went back a, about 15 years ago and got my, I had, a, I was going to go back and do my MBA. I'm not sure why. Uh, and then there was a, a master's in leadership and ethics. That was mm. awesome. Uh, it was actually 20 years ago I started and uh, it was on a satellite campus and and it was right around the time for those of you who might remember the, the MC, uh, like MCI, um, uh, what was the, uh, um, John and Blank, the energy company, um, Enron. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, going back to those days. So, you know, I was talking about the lack of, you know, leadership and ethics. I said, hey, it sounds interesting. I'm going to go back and get my master's in that. Um, and, you know, again, it just felt good. It, the, an MBA didn't seem like it was necessary. Masters in leadership seemed like it was fun. Uh, so I've always pursued those and it shaped the business. And here we are in 2021 and talking about uh, transferable skills, talking about leadership, talking about change, the future of work. Um, that's how I got here. <laughs> that That's awesome. So you, you've been in this space for quite a while now, this sort of future of work, looking at, at how recruiting is done. You, you're the author of the book that's behind you, Recruiting yep. in the Age of Googleization. What prompted, what prompted the book? Um, so that'll roll, also go back. I mean, some of us, it was marketing in, in the late 90s. Uh, we, you know, for those of, of you who, who might be on the call who are, or who uh, remember, uh, who are around we're the of a certain age, Ira. It's okay. There are a lot of us here <laughs> in that camp. Yeah. Um, we were in a similar situation, more jobs than, uh, than there were people. It was the dot-com boom. Um, you know, the millennials were coming into workforce, but nobody wanted to hire them. Same, same stuff. I mean, the same, yep. some of the stories just don't change. Mm -hmm. um, and I started to, I, I, create, I, started, I had a newsletter. I actually had a newsletter, 1980, October. For, I was in practice three months, had a newsletter that went out, didn't have the, the old copied, you know, like the speckled copies, like a mimeographed <laughs> or the copy machine right. needed new toner in it. And, and you couldn't even see it. Um, I actually had a professionally printed, a, a one, one color. It was like October was orange, you know, right. <laughs> uh, very, very innovative. Uh, the less was, but, um, you know, I, 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 I used it for marketing. It was a way to communicate. I figured uh, four times a year, patients will, it, it will get a reminder that I still exist and they come in. And, uh, you know, everybody else says, oh, that's so expensive and it takes time. Well, long story short, uh, when I started this business, uh, I started a newsletter. And fortunately, things had evolved and uh, you could do a PDF. You didn't have to have it printed. Uh, so, and we had email. So I would send out a weekly newsletter and I started to track some of the trends that people were talking about, talking about the generations and talking about millennials and talking about women in the workplace, talking about the internet, talking um, about globalization, uh, talking about uh, workforce participation, talking about unemployment rates, uh, skill sets that were needed. And I... I, every week I, I published five trends, just like you talked about two articles. I did five trends and within a couple of years, I had a lot of trends. So my first, I started to talk about what I called the perfect labor storm. For those of you who remember the, you know, George Clooney and in the perfect storm, you know, sitting there and what it was, was just three kind of incidental storms off the coast of New England that all collided at the same time. If one happened, uh, if they happened independently, it would have just been another minor weather event. But they all collided at the same time, created this massive tidal wave uh, called the perfect, the perfect storm. And I'm sitting there, that's it. It's not the millennials, it's not the generations, it's not the internet, it's not the women, mm. it's not education, it's all of them converging simultaneously and creating this perfect labor storm. Um, and that became my book. So I published all the trends, talked about it, um, perfect labor storm, I was going to rewrite it and ended up re my the, one of my next books was Geek Skeezers and Googleization because everybody said, <laughs> what do you think about these young kids? Uh, what about the millennials? Where did that work ethic go? Where did that attitudes go? And, um, you know, it was just a good, it was a good topic. It was a marketing topic. So I, I, I wrote that book and what I said, you know, it's more than just the generations. It's also about technology. 
and how each generation, especially the young generation, was affected by technology, new internet, digital age, you know, didn't didn't know banking from going into a bank, you go to an ATM, you know, you can get money <laughs> right. anytime you want. Um, so now you just Venmo it. You don't even need to go to the bank anymore. Right. Yeah. I haven't <laughs> been to the bank. I don't know the last time I went to the bank to deposit anything. I mean, right. Every, everything. And banks only across the street. <laughs> yeah. Literally. <it's, laughs> I, I can walk. It's two blocks away. Uh, so yeah, again, things have just changed. I mean, it, it became paperless uh, to, to, to most degree. So I, I, you know, we went through that, you know, series um, and, and, then uh, the recruiting in the age of Googleization that I wrote the Geek Skeezers Googleization, and that was uh, like 2008. Um, and, um, you know, it was due for a rewrite. I mean, we had the Gen Z coming mm -hmm. into the workplace, you know. And I went back and I said, okay, where did I leave off with technology? Mm -hmm. I was like, crap, I mentioned this smartphone because it just came out 2008, right. 2007, yep. first smartphone. Um, what happened to the iPad? And I go, crap, the iPad didn't come out till 2010. And then we start going into, you know, broadband. Um, my, my that didn't exist. Yeah, the <laughs> smartphone, I think, was on 2G or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, it was like if you had one bar, that was like phenomenal. <laughs> and, and we didn't live in a city. I mean, I, I lived in Lancaster at the time. And I lived in rural Lancaster County with the Amish. I literally, I overlooked an Amish farm. So they didn't have these cell towers that, that you can use it. Um, so it was like, okay, this needs a total rewrite. And I started to write, instead of writing about the generations, I started to write, write about how fast things were changing and what mm -hmm. the world was gonna look like. And I had about 130 pages and go, okay, I'm done. And then it was like, what do I do with this? I mean, people will be interested, but how do I sell it? You know, I mean, what's the target market? Who's who who who's going to read this, or am I just going to compete with all the other, uh, you know, with the Simon Sinek's of the world for futurists? You know? uh, right. And they go, you know, my space. Um, let's tie the two books together. Let's tie what the future of work was going to look like. How are companies going to have to change the way they recruit, hire, uh, retain, and so I wrote a second half of the book. And so the first half of the book has nothing to do with recruiting. It just is going to be the world we're going to live in. And, um, you know, I, I guess I can get a pat on the back because in 2020, uh, what I predicted was going to be 2025, 2030, here, here's the direction we're moving, turned out to be 2020. Uh, so the first half of the book was pretty much on par with what was going to happen. And then uh, the last half of the book is, you know, kind of a five step, five steps that you need to look at in ways that you need to change recruitment. And here we are in 2021, and now we've back to more jobs than people. Uh, that yep. just came out the other day, Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, the, and, and the transitions with hybrid workforce, it's, it's interesting, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned about that one article talked about tests don't guess. Uh, on my podcast today, I was talking with uh, Victoria Pelletier, she's a VP at IBM. Uh, mm -hmm. She's the head of North American Talent and Transformation. And I, I asked her, I said, what can a company do, do to uh, evaluate, um, you know, what's the best approach for a hybrid workforce? An incredible say? idea. Ask the employees what they want. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't assume that everybody wants to work at home. Don't assume everybody wants to come back. Don't assume everybody wants to come back on the same day. Mm -hmm. um, ask your employees. Test don't guess, you know, yeah. it, it applies in so many different ways. Yeah. It was interesting. We talked about that just last week. Cause we, we had a, a, a client and a, and a bartender guest who um, they had spent the last few months putting together a plan for return to work. And, and then they did a, a survey of the employees and they found out that the employees did not what want what was in their plan. And they were like, Oh, so what do we do now? Right. And it, we had this discussion around how much, how much say do employees get in that process? Right. Mm -hmm. When, you know, Lori's going through it right now, just trying to balance a return to work plan with the changing nature of the world and the changing needs of employees. Mm -hmm. um, what are you seeing out there, Ira, in terms of these return to work plans and, and, and the trends in that space? 
Um, everybody's the, the economy took off. Everybody got back their, their, their wishes, what they wanted, wanted to go back to normal. You know, what, nobody's going back to normal, but right. yeah, normal. We, we're going to open up and we're going to, we're going to, the only thing that's normal was things like the Indy over the weekend, you know, 150,000 people packed into a stadium, um, you know, events, concerts are coming back. So all that, yeah, that'll feel normal. The rest of life is probably not going to feel normal. Uh, what am I seeing is the planes took off and I'm not seeing any plans the, the, the plan, <laughs> yeah, or, or I'm seeing plans and it's like, the, there, there's not a there's not a way to implement it. It's literally just it's like that five year strategic plan that you went away for three days. You come out with a plan, <laughs> stick it on your shelf, and then we'll see how we'll see if it plays out. We're not gonna we're actually not gonna spend have any effort of making it work. Um, you know, McKinsey I, I, again. There's so much that's happened even in a short week. Um, yeah. it, it was just an, uh, an article that McKinsey put out, and it was interesting that before the pandemic, 99 percent of companies executives said that it was critical that workers spent 80 plus percent of their time at work. Mm -hmm. 99%. There was 1% that they could, that could spend less than 80%. Um, post pandemic, wow. only 10%. Wow. They need to require people yeah. to be 80%. Now the sweet spot was like 50%, 50 to 80%. And, and the challenge is when, when these plans are created, they're almost binary. It's one or the other, yeah. or, or maybe there's three choices. We're going to have all, all remote, all on site or in between. The right. problem with the in between is there's 98 shades of gray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. What that means and and what my vision as a manager is well let's let's say monday wednesday and friday or monday wednesday thursday uh we want our employees to be here the problem is those monday wednesdays and thursdays might not align with childcare or a yeah. right or when their partner can be home or maybe they went down to one vehicle i mean there's right. a million different um or they might have moved yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people moved and got rid of, you know, if they lived in the city. So there's so many variables and it's going to be flexible. I, I, I think it's not the high, you know, hybrids one thing, but it's a flexible hybrid. It's going to, it's going to change. And so you are still going to go to work and be there and you go, okay, I thought everybody was going to be here. Oh no, Lori and Eric, um, you know, they, yeah. one had childcare problem, one car problem they're going to work from home let's zoom them in <laughs> so mm -hmm. you're going to be at work still doing zoom calls it's oh, yeah. the fact that it's everybody has to be here next friday or next wednesday and even when you did that um you know it took weeks and months sometimes to get those scheduled to have those oh, events yeah. because people had time off and they had pto and they had a, there was going to be travel and there was a doctor's appointment um, you know, it, last year was easy. I, I am, I had zero struggle last year. Now I've been virtual for 15 years. So the world caught up to me, but on the reverse is I'm struggling now more than people that are, are going back to work, we're going back to normal. It's much more stressful for me to connect with people. It's much more stressful because I'm expected now, like Friday, I'm going, I have, I'm driving to Philadelphia for two hours because they want me there. Um, where is that stressing you out, Ira? Yeah. I don't, I'm really not looking forward to being one is I've got to go to Philly and I've got to drive the full length of the Schuylkill expressway. So yeah. I don't, if, if you've never <laughs> been on it, then you, you probably have some, some place like that, but the Schuylkill expressway is notorious. You can go there three o'clock in the morning and there's traffic backed up. Um, it is just never, ever, ever easy to go through. Um, so I'm literally going to spend for, for an hour visit. It will take me five to six hours mm -hmm. in the car. Yeah. Oof. That's a complete waste of time. I mean, I can listen to books, I can make calls, but it's just a complete waste of time. When, when you have this experience. capability, right? When you have this virtual capability to, right? It's a good alternative. Yeah, yeah. There's a really good alternative. So, I mean, going back to your question, Eric, what's, you know, what am I seeing? There's lots of discussions about hybrid plans. I think a lot of people didn't expect the world to pick up steam as quickly as it did. 
Um, you know, consumers had a lot of money saved uh, over last year. Uh, businesses had a lot of money. The stimulus, I mean, there's a million reasons why, but the economy is doing really well. Uh, the job market's doing, I mean, the, the job market's doing well. There's 8.1 million open jobs right now. That's mm -hmm. more jobs. It's 500,000 more jobs than pre-pandemic, which was the record. Oof. Uh, you know, wow. it, it, like in November of 2019, I think there were 7.6 million open jobs. And if, for those who remember, it was pretty challenging then. And now you add 500,000 more in a booming economy. And then just uh, today, uh, they announced that, um, you know, that the job, the job market will be, will be increasingly difficult through the end of this year. It will ease first quarter of 2022, and then it will pick up steam again. Mm -hmm. um, and it will continue, the unemployment rate will continue to decline and, and uh, jobs, um, uh, the demand for jobs will continue to increase until the next recession. So the hope is, is what's the solution for the job shortage? Let's have another recession. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's yeah, not, not necessarily what people want, but that's, you know, again, people are going to have to figure it out and people have to do things differently. And so in addition to figuring out where are you going to work, where people are going to work, um, they also got to figure out how to fill these positions. And it's, well, and that's that's a something else that we're seeing, which kind of doubles down on these. The situation is more jobs than people. And the people are saying, if you make me go to work, I'll quit. And they can because they can, <laughs> right? And it, sorry, all of these things are sort of dovetailing into this interesting I, scenario. I interviewed, and, and maybe other people on the call will have similar stories. Uh, I interviewed a labor economist. Uh, I do it weekly, or monthly, sorry. Uh, Ed Gordon, he's, he's, he's written like 20 books. He's been around. This, this is what he does. You talk about somebody who's passionate about workforce trends. That's all he's done for 50 years is study workforce trends. And uh, we were on a call the other day trying to get an update. And uh, somebody that was on the call said that they had, they're looking for a line cook in for, um, it's a retirement community, senior living, assisted living, uh, so healthcare. And they were looking for a line cook and they offered a $2,500 bon signing bonus. Very few takers. Um, they had one guy come in he was, this was his ninth interview in oh, two days. He had two job offers already, and he accepted the position for $19 an hour. A line cook, $19 an hour, six months experience. It's not that, it's not that he, wow. this is a, six months experience of a line cook. Uh, and turned down a $2,500 signing bonus. And then an, another one who uh, was in transportation said, yeah, we just lost somebody uh, to $14,000 a month guaranteed for six months mm. um, for, yeah. for driving. Uh, so, you know, that's the market. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, this is going back to the, you know, for again, going back to 1999, uh, early 2000s uh, with the dot-com boom when they were pulling kids out of high school, uh, you know, <laughs> guaranteeing they were going to millionaire if they can code, uh, if they knew how to code. Now it's going to be, uh, you know, almost, almost any job. So that's the market we're in. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the wild, wild west. And so in addition to uh, figuring out a hybrid workforce and, and uh, people have choices and if they say they're going to quit, <laughs> I, people are going to have to learn to accommodate. The flip side of this goes back to our leadership, by the way, and you, we talked, you talked about leadership in the two articles. Uh, leading a hybrid workforce is not the same. I mean, not only aren't the people there, but a lot of managers struggled managing and leading teams when people showed up for work. That's right. Mm. Now that they may not even know them, they're going to hire people. They're not going to see them on a regular basis. They're really going to have to be able to lead with metrics, you know, with outcomes, not necessarily managed by walking around. Mm -hmm. uh, it's leadership. I, I'm more and more worried about leadership than I am, you know, the people. I mean, yeah. I think work can get done, but um, there's going to be a lot of managers and leaders that really botch it up. 
Yeah. Hey, Ira, I have a, I have a recru- recruitment question for you. That's kind of a niche that I'm, that I'm super curious about your kind of your experience with it and where things are now. So, so I work in a technology company, a lot of engineers, and one of the um, things that we're trying to do better with is, is hire more women into the workplace. And so when you, this has been kind of a longstanding issue and now probably compounding by the supply and demand question, but you know, the, the, the number of women who go into engineering and then the number of companies that are looking to hire engineers and then you're trying to compete and, and all of those things. But I mean, some, sometimes it's really just down to the basics of how do we get their attention? How do we find them? How do we, in, you know, entice, entice women in, into it? Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are around that. Yeah, that's a, that's a challenge. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting question and, and really challenging. So my, my mind immediately goes back to an acronym that I created, which was REACH. And, and REACH is how do you reach them? How do you engage them? Um, and then that's the RE. And then A was uh, what's the application process look like? Uh, C is having a conversation, you know, acknowledge them, don't allow people to go into the black hole. And then the H was hiring which uh, essentially is onboarding, but you know, hiring doesn't stop when you extend the job offer. <laughs> right, right. Go beyond them. So if we take that model and we look at what you're talking about, it really becomes the R and the E. It's, it's how do you reach them? Yeah. Uh, and then how do you engage them? And more than just saying, here's a good site or, or let's target women. Okay, right. that, that's a tactical side. The hmm. engage part's tough. So part of it is, is what's the brand? I mean, what's if if I'm you know if I'm a woman um, and I go to the website, what's what impressions do I have? Does it look like it's a business or a culture that's just going to hire me as a token, or do I have an opportunity there? Am I going to be part of that culture? So is it is what's the what senior leadership look like? Is it nine white white guys? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Same issue. I mean, we can talk about this for any for people of color as well. Yes. Uh, what's the management team look like? What are the opportunities? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can even get down to the messaging. Uh, you know what? You know, and there's some really good sites out there. There's some software, but some of this you can do manually. Is what are the words you're using? You yes. know, we're a competitive, you know, aggre- you know, aggressive yeah. organization. Well. You know, I don't want to get into the psychology of it, but there's some words that just yeah. turn turn off women. Mm-hmm. Um, they turn off men, some men too. Uh, mm-hmm. So what what's your? There's got to be strategy, and and people need to understand that um, recruitment is marketing. So what's your brand? Mm-hmm. What's your culture? Is it attractive? Uh, don't ask the don't ask the nine white guys what they think about this. Oh yeah, yeah, that's nice. I like that picture. Uh, you know, right. ask women, ask women, you know, female engineers, ask people who turned you down or, you mm. know, what was, yeah. what, what were the reasons? Um, but also um, this came from, if you're familiar with the uh, fairy God boss, and actually this came from HBR, but it was um, it, but I've, I've taught, I just talked the other day to Georgine Hung and, and uh, Romy Newman. And they, in, in one of the white papers that they just had, they had a study. And it, it actually has a lot to do with even the makeup of the interview. So let's say you attract a, a couple qualified engineer candidates, uh, female candidates, uh, and, and you bring them in. If it's, what's the slate look like? Mm-hmm. If you have three women and one man uh, as the final slate there is a, I don't remember the exact percentage, but there's like a 67% chance the female will be hired. If you have two women and two men, there's a 50% chance, that's good. If you have three men and one woman, there's a 0% chance that woman will be hired. Wow. So even wow. when you have, and, and there was a pretty large study. So statistically, mm-hmm. sometimes it's, you do everything right. You check, you, you get the marketing, you attract them. Um, you get the culture, you get the imaging, um, and and you say, listen, we we have the four top candidates, mm-hmm. but one of them's a woman. Psychologically, that woman has zero chance of being hired. Interesting. The, the, wow. you know, there is there's so much more involved in doing it, and mm-hmm. everybody says, um, yeah, we have a good slate, 
but it doesn't mean they're going to accept the job. Um, and it doesn't mean uh, that they're, they're going to stay. Uh, yeah, you yeah. change, you know, the culture within there. So it, you know, it's like everything else. Uh, it just, it takes some thinking and, and a strategy to make it happen. You have to do it. Right. I mean, you, you yeah. One, one of the things I was super pleased to see, we, we recently did a employee survey and the, the way this survey works, there are these culture badges that get unlocked. So if you're, if your organization compared to your benchmark and compared to the database score the top 25% in certain areas, culture drivers, you get sort of this, this branding image. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones that, that we got at cable labs was for, um, work-life balance, which is, is a pretty great one to be able to, to put up on our recruitment site. And, you know, we were named one of the top workplaces in Denver. And, um, so, but that, that work-life balance paired with innovation. So that is a, is a, uh, you know, I feel like that helps us, right? All of those, all of those pieces help us when, when people are researching the organization and, and looking into, you know, we, we have three women on our executive team. We have a female chief R and D officer. So, you know, I think, I think those things do make a difference. Um, it's still, boy, it's still hard to find candidates well there's Just, two part. i mean one is you're doing it sounds like you're doing the right things um you know but look there's those nuances so again it, it's not that hey if you have four candidates and three of them happen to be men and they're all yeah, qualified then that's that's important to know yeah. but it's important to be aware of what the challenge is mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. that are there some biases in there when was the woman scheduled um, yeah. you know, that what's the sequencing of, of that, that mm -hmm. happened, mm -hmm. uh, were they interviewed in a, in, in a similar way? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it even gets down to some of the questions that, that yeah. you ask, uh, and, and the, and how comfortable you are, you know, doing that. And we all know that interviewing skills are, you know, we'll yeah. see that your company that they're not lacking, but you know, overall. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm it's doing like it. when you ask somebody if they're a good listener, they go, yes. Are you a good interviewer? Absolutely. <laughs> That's why I'm actually doing a two-hour training on behavioral interviewing next week. That's <laughs> part of the rotation. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. Yeah, so, there's, there's a lot of nuances. There's yeah, just a lot of nuance. And, yeah, and yeah. the good news is we're now aware of it. Uh, yeah. There's more people where and people on the that are listening today and and you know st mm -hmm. we're we're much more aware of it but I wasn't even aware of it I mean this is the business I'm in and I I don't really I don't staff and I don't recruit I mean we talk about the fundamentals of it and it's more uh, even my book I talk about it, it's more of a recruitment marketing book mm -hmm. forcing book right yeah. but mm -hmm. the more you dig into it it's a big big rabbit hole. And, uh, you know, especially with the uh, with talking, learning so much about diversity and inclusion, uh, diversity last year, some of the biases, unconscious biases, the micro, yeah. not, not necessarily microaggression, microaggressions, but unintentional viewpoint, yeah. unintentional. Yeah, for sure. We do. Uh, awareness is going to help. Uh, yeah. and, and, and again, it's, it creates transparency and authenticity. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's going to help companies to attract it. It's, it's not a marketing message. It's, it's, yeah. it's more than a poster on the wall. Yeah. It, it's just interesting, right? To come into this awareness at a time when talent is scarce, right? Yeah. So the job is already harder, even though we're, we're getting better at it. I, I wonder if it's getting harder faster than we are getting better at it. Oh, there's no question about it, but but then again, we blew the lead. Right. Uh, you know, McKinsey's talking about the war for talent, you know, 2020. I mean, they, they had a 2020 report. Guess what? It, yeah. it, it, it wasn't a black swan event. It's exactly <laughs> what they predicted. I, I certainly, you know, I, I took, I, I, I researched and, and, and stole a lot of, not stole, but borrow a lot of, <laughs> Hey, you know, it's what we do from a lot of, <laughs> a lot of other companies. And, and I, I, I uh, uh, compiled a lot of research from other companies and spit it out and gave them credit for it. But mm -hmm. frankly, all yeah. you know, the map was on the wall. The direction was on the wall where we were yeah. headed and here we are and companies are struggling. So, but now we're going to have to work extra hard to, to pick up. Yeah. yeah. We had a, we had a question come in from, from Lori Freemeyer. She said, since I have one foot in the remote workspace and one in person, um, 
Lori does, she works for Frontier Airlines. She's a flight attendant and a trainer. Um, and she is a former employer. She said, I believe we've created some whiny workers. <laughs> What's best for the company? Yeah, offer the flexibility. But she wants to know from your perspective, Ira, have we created a coddled workforce? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, I, you know, I'm sure some people feel that way. And, and, uh, you know, uh, again, the, the, the shoes on the other foot. Uh, the, the <laughs> yeah. Shoes. Millennials are 30 now. They're like in their 30s. So 30, they're 42, 42 oh. years old. So oh, it's, it's always it, ironic man. that when somebody's complaining <laughs> about the millennials and I, and I look in and go, don't give me your age, but do you fit within like 35 and 50? And they go, yeah. I go, oh, well, you're the millennial. You're a millennials. Yeah. I mean, millennial, <laughs> millennial, you know, millennials get blamed for anybody under like 40 some years old. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's, there's actually generation Z and mm. then there's generation alpha. Yeah. Uh, so there's two other generations that came by, um, you know, are, are they helicopter, you know, is the helicoptering, are they, in, do they feel entitled, um, the, the shoes, one is the shoes on the other foot. So for whatever, even if they are coddled and we created it, um, you're going to have to deal with it. You know, frankly, you're going to have to deal with it because if they've got the talent, then you're going to have to to work with them to some degree. Um, but on the other hand, uh, there's a lot of really uh, hardworking, uh, determined, passionate, in, you know, workers that are, um, you know, that again, the, the, they don't feel entitled. There's a really interesting study that came out. Um, and, and I only know it because I, I, I'm giving a presentation at the end of the month about uh, millennials. It's, it's called uh, Millennials Move Over. And millennials Move Over. Um, mm -hmm. And it was about Generation Z. One third, I, I don't remember the titles that they gave them. Uh, they were sort of distinctive titles, but out of Gen Z, and, the, and again, that's anybody born like after 1996, uh, 97. Um, so they're the, they're the young people coming into the workforce right now. 35% uh, of them were um, really competitive, really strivers, it's high achievers. This is this is the group that the the a the, the the type A group. So even out of out of Gen Z, you had a third that are high achievers. There was eighteen percent that were these highly passionate, um, kind of values driven group, and so, but they were willing to work hard as long as it was toward a cause. Mm -hmm. So if your company has a good mission, a good purpose, a good path, you know, yeah. and it allows mm -hmm. them to funnel those energies, they're not right. going to work for the job. They're not working for your company. They're working for the cause. Mm -hmm. And if yep. you can do that. So half of this young generation, um, although, you know, although they fit under this umbrella of being coddled, right, we're really, really hard workers. They value work. Yeah. Um, you then had another 50%. And, and they were, they were broken into three categories, but basically is they weren't necessarily hard workers. Some of them would work if you gave the right incentives. Um, some, you know, really, there was like 18% that frankly, there was no way to motivate them. You Slackers. Know, other, other, <laughs> well, there was one, actually it was one other group. I'm trying to, I'm trying to blank on what some of these were. One group was motivated by money. Yeah. They, they clearly, their goal was to achieve the maximum amount of money in their life. Um, but they would work really hard if, if they, if the rewards were there. So if you were willing to pay them and they had the talent, then, you know, now you had maybe 65% of this population, but there were still 20% that just didn't work. Here's the challenge. I'm a baby. I'm an older baby boomer. Uh, we just had a big reunion last year, uh, two years ago. I'll, I'll tell you what, there are some kids that there's some of my classmates that were lazy <laughs> when, when we were 16 and 18. And when they're in the sixties, they're still lazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, they retired at the first chance they can get and they're happy living on Medicare or on, mm -hmm. on, you know, on a retirement plan. 
Um, there are other people like me that are highly ambitious. Uh, there are people that are, you know, older that are highly ambitious. They're still starting companies. They're still working hard. Uh, and every generation has that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, compared to other groups and, you know, some, I, I, I know a lot of baby boomers that want to be coddled, you know, yeah. as well. so I, yeah, I think it's true, but, uh, then I, I would say shift your strategy. There's a lot of other good people that are out there. Awesome. Well, Ira, thanks for, for joining us today. Where, where can we find you? Where do we find your podcast, your book? You have a community out there as well. Yeah. So big surprise, Google. <laughs> if you Google <laughs> my name, I'll show up. Uh, I have a community, Googleization Nation. So there's um, Googleization. That's how you spell it. Nation.com. It's free. Um, I do updates. I got my weekly podcast, which is Geek Skeezers Googleization. You're getting a theme there. Uh, and my website is successperformancesolutions.com. Right on. Well, everybody, let's give Ira some big ups for being here today. Thanks for joining us. We're going to do our funny things, our goods feel story, and then a drink, and we will get on out of here for dinner time. All right. Today's funny things. Funny thing number one. Um, J-Lo and Ben Affleck are back together. Lindsay Lohan starring in a new movie, and I'm living in my parents' house. Hello, 2004. <laughs> oh, I dropped my pet bird off at the vet earlier today, and now they're not answering my calls. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> oh, my. Speaking of calls. Uh, <laughs> uh, reflections are sometimes fun. This reminded me of the uh, of the crocodile in the water. This, this is a capybara. You can see in the picture there's a reflection of a kid who was looking at it. Oh God, that's what <laughs> that's a that's a wait for it joke right there. That is. I had to make it bigger on my screen. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's worth it. It's well it worth is. it. Uh, Googling the number of horses in the world. This is an uncomfortably specific number of horses. <laughs> I don't even know what to make of this one. Uh, it, it's a food item called round meal. And on it down there at the bottom center of that label is win a visit from Davis. And the balloon says, I'll come to see you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that no. means. And my favorite, favorite funny thing this week. Fucking finally. Hulk arms for chickens. <laughs> hey. If you own a chicken, you need this product. That's all I'm saying about that. That's amazing. <laughs> today's, good today's good feel story. This uh, happened in Wayne County, Michigan. There was a uh, drug dealer who got busted in a sting operation, and the judge he had to stand in front of didn't buy his whole drug dealerness, and he challenged him to become the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and he was facing 20 years in prison. The judge, who just didn't feel right about that, gave him three years probation, uh, and that same judge swore him in as a lawyer this week, which I wow. thought, that's pretty cool. Super that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Today's semi-quarantine cocktail, it's the killer iguana. It's a riff on a picture of Beat the Heat slushies. Uh, you're going to need one Florida man. You can see where this is going. Oh, no. Some fro frozen raspberries. Who beats an iguana? What? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to need a bottle of white wine. The dude claimed the wild iguana was first to engage with physical and violence during the encounter. <laughs> so you're going to need uh you're going to need some sparkling raspberry lime water. Yeah, it's the he started at defense. Some vodka. Uh in his defense, he cited the Florida stand your ground law claiming he thought the iguana was venomous. <laughs> Juice of half a lime. The whole thing's on video. Uh, spoiler alert, the humans started it. Uh, you're going to need to blend that up and Florida, man. Florida. Some, <laughs> some lime for garnish and then go ahead and enjoy your cocktail. 
Guys, as always, Wednesdays are my favorite days. You're my favorite people. Thanks for being here. Thanks to Ira Wolf. Big ups to him again for joining us today. <laughs> we, will, we will see you next week. Guys, have a great, great rest of your week. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.